great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. So I have been looking at next year's tax rates. They've just been published. The standard deduction for next year has been increased. And so that is subtracted, obviously, from the income you're going to report. And what is clear for 21 is something that I've told you in the last few years is even more true with where the brackets are for both single taxpayers and married couples. That you, if you have access to a retirement plan at work, except for people who make a huge amount of money, which for a couple would be more than uh, $420,000 a year. Unless you're earning that kind of money, you absolutely want to do the Roth 401k option if a Roth option is available to you. And traditional IRA, you don't want to put any money in that. You want to do Roth only. Because... The tax rates of today are unusually low. And we're running these massive budget deficits. At some point, and with an aging population, we have to either train wreck people's Social Security and Medicare benefits, which is unlikely, or because of how large a percent of the federal budget they represent, we're going to have to have, I have to say it, higher taxes. There's no other, I mean, politicians will tell you whatever they want, make government more efficient. The reality is almost all of federal expenditures, easy word to say, go to transfer payments, Medicare and Social Security primarily. And people expect to receive those benefits and we don't have enough money coming in for them, which means that if you put money into a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA or any kind of equivalent like that, you're getting an upfront tax benefit that is not nearly as good as the bad of taxes you'll pay down the road for pulling that money out. Because everything put in pre-tax in a 401k pre-tax in a traditional IRA, whatever, even though you got the upfront tax benefit, every penny in those accounts is taxed when you use that money later. And so the new tax brackets make it exceedingly clear that you want to do post-tax investing of money, not pre-tax. Now, ultra-high income earners, Uh, It really doesn't matter if you're making an unusually large amount of money, if you're in that select sliver of people who makes a very large amount of money, um, probably you're in at least as high a tax bracket, if not higher, today than you'll be down the road. So doing pre-tax for you, and you're the only ones who really benefit that I can think of from doing pre-tax that should do it. Um, typical taxpayer in the United States, married couple, 
will pay federal income tax at a tax rate of about 12% on most of what you earn. Single individuals, uh, most will pay between 12 and 22%. You know, we used to have a tax code that was uh, punishing to married couples. That's not really the case in most cases anymore. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns. And Kim, what you got? All right. First up today is a woman who wanted to remain nameless from Florida. Hi, Nameless. Hi, Nameless. She says, I signed up for Walmart grocery delivery service for $98 for a year. I did not know that I would have to tip my delivery person. It's strongly suggested in emails that they sent. And, well, when I went to sign up for it, I wouldn't have if I had known it was going to end up costing me $375 plus a year. That is not within my budget. I think this is something that should be told to you up front. I don't tip my Amazon delivery person, do you? It's kind of a quandary. It's a service, not a pizza. What do you think? This is a very good question. And there's been a distinction with a difference with grocery delivery, whether you get it from Instacart or Shipt or any of the smaller players in grocery delivery. Grocery delivery has had a different sense in people's minds that you tip for grocery delivery where you typically would not for a FedEx driver, UPS, USPS, um, did I miss anybody? Did I say Amazon? Um, Any of the delivery services that are delivering packages to you, tipping is unusual. With groceries, it's expected. And I thought that Walmart was explaining that with Walmart Plus, but maybe they need to do a better job of that to let you know. Um, Also, you should know that a lot of people do tip when they do curbside pickup for groceries. And I do grocery pickup at Aldi, and they do not accept tips. And I've tried to tip the person. They've said, nope, we're not allowed to do that at all. And I'm looking at Walmart Plus and going through all the blah, blah, blah benefits. And I don't see anything here that is on the main screen about signing up for it that says that you are expected to tip. Joel? Clark Mark in Ohio says, I'm retired military. I've already got an in-house quote for level term life insurance through USAA. Are there any other recommended sources where I should shop for level term insurance? USAA is a fantastic choice to get a quote for level term insurance. I would recommend that you check out some of the services that I have on my um, level term life insurance guide on Clark.com. I've got some specific companies I'd like you to get quotes from and some shopping services that would be good for you to try. But I like for people to shop around using USAA. If you did nothing else, you didn't do any shopping around, would be a very good choice. 
You might be paying a little more, though, than if you took the time to shop around. And I would be neglectful if I didn't thank you for your years of service in the U.S. military. Kim? Dennis in Oklahoma says, I recently refinanced my home, and since then I've been receiving numerous offers for insurance to cover the outstanding principal in case of disability or death. Is this coverage that is recommended by you? Absolutely. Positively. No way. I despise these policies that are usually pushed by the bank itself that originated your mortgage or the servicer that is servicing the loan, these policies tend to cost at least 10 times what a real life insurance or disability insurance policy would cost that gives you the flexibility. You're the owner. You do with the money what you want. With these policies, it's so insulting to people because you're paying a premium to protect which party? You're paying a premium to protect the bank who did the mortgage. So they're garbage policies and you shouldn't buy them. If it triggers a thought in you though, hey, I don't have life insurance. Think about what I just talked about with buying life insurance just a second ago. And if you don't have disability insurance, ultra, ultra important to have during your working lifetime. Joel? Clark Heather in California says, I know you believe in contributing to a 401k up to an employer match, but I'm now with a new employer who uses a company that has a lot of bad reviews, bad customer service, and high fees. So what should I do? Uh, Put in only enough to grab the match, particularly if the match is dollar for dollar to 3% or 50 cents on the dollar to 6%. Even with the massive fees of the plan, who knows how long you'll be with the employer or how long the employer will have a crummy 401k, um, you would want to put in that money because getting the instant match outruns the ripoff fees of the plan. And then as soon as you're not with that employer, you transfer that money to a new employer's low-cost 401k plan or into your own IRA with much, much lower cost than a ripoff 401k plan. Kim? Clark, I hope you don't mind occasionally just thank yous come in, and I wanted to include one today. This is from Jeff in Ohio, and Jeff says, Clark, I am so very proud and excited to share with you that my wife and I were just approved for our very first home. It would not have happened if it wasn't for your advice and guidance over the past few years. We still have a lot of work to do, but you've given us the tools and inspiration that we need. Well, you are so kind, and I'm glad that I gave you information that has been helpful to you. But remember, who really deserves credit are the two of you for taking the information, implementing changes in your life, and congratulations on your new home. Joel? Clark Jeffrey in Georgia says, is it legal for a retailer to ask to see my receipt when I'm leaving the store? And do I have to comply or can I refuse and just keep walking out? You have to comply in any state that I'm aware of. The idea of checking your receipt is, uh, first of all, at the warehouse clubs, they have their own internal systems where they are able to pick out um, 
through training the employees go through whether or not you may have gone to self-checkout barcoded an item is what you were buying that was something actually much cheaper than what you're walking out the door with that kind of thing and so they have a legal right and i don't know of any state where they wouldn't have a legal right to do so other stores that anybody can walk in uh, want to make sure that people are not walking out with merchandise they did not pay for so showing the receipt is a reasonable request what i don't like is when a store doesn't have an employee check everybody's receipt and they're only randomly checking people then people's personal biases can come into the play and they may in fact check one person's receipt who they think is trouble and somebody else they think oh that person's just fine i'm letting him through i think it should be a hundred percent or zero percent on checking receipts just so fair is fair and nobody is singled out or profiled in any way by that this podcast is brought to you by progressive insurance let's face it sometimes multitasking can be overwhelming like when your favorite podcast is playing and the person next to you is talking and your car fan is blasting all while you're trying to find the perfect parking spot But then again, sometimes multitasking is easy, like quoting with Progressive Insurance. They do the hard work of comparing rates so you can find a great rate that works for you, even if it's not with them. Give their nifty comparison tool a try, and you might just find getting the rate and coverage you deserve is easy. All you need to do is visit Progressive's website to get a quote with all the coverages you want, like comprehensive and collision coverage or personal injury protection. Then you'll see Progressive's direct rate and their tool provide options from other companies, all lined up and ready to compare, so it's simple to choose the rate and coverages you like. Press play on comparing auto rates. Quote at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Jerry joins us on the Clark Howard Show. And do you have your finances set for life or what? It's fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well, Clark. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. Certainly. So you are um, 50 years old. You're in a career that you're going to retire from. How far into the future? Um, Hopefully five years at, at age 55. That's great. So 55 forward, you're going to bag this, work some if you want, otherwise not work at all? Yes, I plan on um, still working. I just want to work on my own terms. Good for you again. Wow. And um, what are you going to live on at 55 forward? That's what I'm trying to make a decision about now. I, my situation is I want to build a rear house in my backyard to bring in some extra income and retirement in addition to the uh, pension that I'll get from the state um, and work if possible. And what I'm trying to uh, determine is, is it better to refinance the house to pay the approximately 150000 that it's going to cost to build the house, or do I take money from an IRA? Uh, don't take money from the IRA. And what's your current interest rate? Uh, 3.87. And how much equity do you have in your home? Um, the house is valued at approximately eight seventy, and I we owe around four seventy, so three hundred k. Okay, definitely 
refi because you can mortgage rates in the last week have hit an all-time record low you should be able to uh even with a cash out refi shave the rate here and okay. you'll have very low cost of funds that you'll be able to draw on and you'll be renting out that granny flat which will help pay off a substantial amount of your mortgage payment every month yes so this is a case do. where you're in the catbird seat you're in a perfect position to do a cash out refi build the granny flat and then have a lower carry cost and interest rate even though you'll have a higher balance and then the granny flat will be ultimately paying your mortgage for you yes and that's what i'm looking to do thank you so much but definitely don't pull at age 50 you don't want to draw any of the ira money it takes flexibility away from you. And even with uh, you being in a jumbo loan, you're going to be able to get a rate, as long as your credit standing is good, lower than what you have now, and have the cash-out refi. Because cash-out refis pay a discriminatory rate. You pay a little bit higher because there's more risk for the lender with a cash-out. But you're going to be in, in perfect condition here doing that cash-out building that granny flat. The big problem with the granny flat, cost overruns. So be very careful with the cost of construction and anything somebody wants you to approve. Uh, while we're at it, why don't we do this, that, or the other? You want to watch your dollars through this. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I call it the lose-lose situation we're in with landlords who have tenants who have not been paying rent, and we have tenants that know that an eviction is coming at some point or another. I have talked over the last many weeks, as people have asked about this, the CDC guidelines to try to prevent a foreclosure where you go to cdc.gov and you put in in the search box the word eviction and you'll see the CDC form you print out, fill out, and if a landlord is going through the courts locally where you live to process an eviction against you for unpaid rent, uh, that you present the form that you are certifying under penalty of perjury, that you qualify for a hold on eviction because of the pandemic and circumstances have happened to you, they're explained thoroughly on the form. When I first mentioned this, there was a lot of angry posts from landlords who said, what about us? We've got bills to pay, mortgages, taxes, and we got no income coming in, and you're telling people how to avoid paying their rent. That's why this is lose-lose. And there are judges around the country who are not honoring the CDC forms and issuing dispossessories, issuing eviction notices, and people are being put out. It's very haphazard place to place. There are some local areas that are still enforcing moratoriums on evictions, but it just is a mixed bag. But the evictions are coming. Uh, the best guess is somewhere... 30 million or so people are facing potential eviction, and that's estimates 
from the feds on how many people may have evictions. Hopefully, a number of those will work out acceptable payment plans that they're able to meet with landlords and avoid evictions. But landlords, uh, you know, half or so of properties around the country are in the hands of small landlords, and they are hurting economically just like the tenants. So this is a very, very difficult situation. I wish there were easy answers to it, but there aren't because you've got a massive percent of apartment renters who worked in job categories where they have faced layoffs in transportation, entertainment, tourism, conventions, whatever. The parts of the economy that have been hit the hardest are also ones where renters are most likely to work. Homeowners, for the most part, have been okay. I shared with you weeks ago that the number of homeowners who have fallen behind on mortgages turned out to be a much smaller number than what was expected. Because a very large percent of homeowners have kept their jobs, many of which are able to continue to work from home. So the economic impact has most heavily hit renters. I will tell you what I said before, and it may or may not be useful in your situation if you are a renter. But it's important that you stay in touch with your landlord. Tell them how you're doing. Tell them if you've gotten back to work. And what you want to try to do to help make the landlord whole over time. If you ignore your landlord, your landlord has no reason to believe that you actually care about catching up on the rent. It doesn't mean that the landlord later may not, when they can, try to evict you, but your better chances of not ending up out on the street is to stay in constant communication with your landlord. Whatever the story is, level with them. Tell them how you're doing. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns, and I don't remember whose turn it is. That would be me, and this is from Ben in Indiana. Ben says, Clark, I've heard you mention several times on the show that certain types of index funds get better tax treatments than other individual equities. How do I know which investments fall into which tax categories? Is it listed somehow in the description, or is there a certain keyword I should be looking for? Okay, let me explain this a little differently than than how you uh, have heard me or think you've heard me say it. What I have typically compared is not individual stocks. Individual stocks can have very favorable tax treatment, bought and held for a long period of time, very equivalent to what you have with an index fund. The big distinction I've talked about in non-retirement accounts is between index funds and actively managed mutual funds. Actively managed mutual funds where there's a manager who is picking a mix of investments, typically stocks, to be in that mutual fund, tend to churn those accounts where they'll say, oh, well, we don't really like that stock anymore. We're going to sell that and buy something else. That kind of activity of changing the mix of investments in the fund 
can generate a tax problem for you every year. With index funds, particularly the broad ones like a total stock market index, even a 500 stock index fund, you have very little turnover in the mix of stocks, and so the tax treatment is ultra favorable. But versus individual stocks and owning an index fund, they are typically going to have very similar tax treatments that are very favorable to you in an investment account where your holdings will be subject to much lower capital gains tax rather than what can happen in an actively traded mutual fund, actively run mutual fund, I mean, where you can be hit with what's known as ordinary income tax, which is a much, much higher tax rate. Joel? Clark Scott in Wisconsin says, my wife keeps getting solicitations in the mail for Medicare and other programs that are designed for retirees, but she's only 35. Is this something that she should be concerned about? I froze her credit years ago due to the Equifax breach, and her credit score is good. It's just really weird that someone thinks she's older than she actually is. Well, I did something really cruel to my wife long ago, and I signed her up for AARP on her 30th birthday. And so for decades, she's been receiving solicitations for assisted living facilities, uh, 55 plus communities, Medicare, you name it. And so in her case, it was because I was being, uh, I thought, cute at the time. But, you know, that's why the mailing list people think that she's of age. It's likely that there's some mailing list reason different than somebody pulling a prank like I did, that they think that your wife is of age for Medicare. But it would be a good idea to check her credit files, even though credit's frozen, and make sure there is no error on there that would lead people to think that she is significantly older than what she is. So even with credit frozen, you can go to annualcreditreport.com and get completely free copies of your credit reports from Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, usually under the law only once a year, but during the pandemic, you're allowed even to request them more frequently. If you find indications on the credit files that show an obvious mistake that would lead people to think that she is older, there's a procedure with each of the bureaus where you dispute the information to correct it. Hopefully there is no harm in this other than hurt feelings. Kim? Will in Florida says, Clark, I'm working to improve my credit score. I've paid off three of my credit cards. Each one has a very high interest rate of 29.9%. Wow. Yeah. My credit score is now at 674, and I'd like to approach my credit card companies and ask for a reduction of the interest rate. Do you have any advice on how to approach this? So I'm not going to recommend that because you're paying, you paid the balances off, correct? Correct. So if you paid them off, the key is moving forward is that if you use any of these cards that you've successfully paid off, pay the balance in full and you're paying zero interest. Also at 674, you're right on the bubble where you can apply for an actual decent card. 
If you're not a member of a credit union yet, go join a credit union and go meet with a loan officer um, if they're doing it virtually rather than in person. Meet with a loan officer virtually. Tell them your situation and that you want to see how likely you are to be a good candidate for a credit union credit card, which typically charge uh, between 8 and 12%, although it can vary from credit union to credit union. And that will give you more available credit from a good source at a much, much lower interest rate. The idea eventually is your credit score gets in the 700s is after you have that credit union card, maybe you get one more. And then those cards that charge 30% become completely irrelevant in your life, but they have no annual fee. Leave them open as part of your available credit mix. Joel? Clark Craig in Maryland says, my wife left her federal job a few years ago and we have a TSP still from that. Does it make sense to leave the TSP where it is as a TSP? Or with options like Fidelity Zero Funds, would a rollover make more sense? We're both 34, by the way. The TSP is such an outstanding program. It's the best retirement account anybody has available to them that even with Fidelity Zero Funds existing, I would leave the TSP open for the remainder of her working lifetime and only in retirement start withdrawing money from that TSP. Because the Fidelity Zero Funds, uh, who knows how permanent they are. And so it's been a great attention getter and a great entry point for people being with Fidelity. It's just over the long haul, the TSP is so outstanding that I would leave that account where it is. You know, usually I talk about taking stranded retirement accounts from old employers and moving them into a new employer, moving them potentially into your own IRA. But in the case of the TSP, that rule does not apply. Kim? Toops in Ohio wants to know, how safe do you think it is to use Google Pay? Google Pay and uh, Apple Pay are very safe and safer typically than using actual real plastic. Don't worry, be happy using it. Curtis is with us and Curtis, welcome to the Clark Howard Show. And uh, it's great to have you back because we talked before about the atrocious 403B plans that you have available to you. And I made a suggestion to you, tell me what's happened since we talked before. Yeah, so you suggested that we uh, stop contributing um, to our 403Bs and start opening up the Roth IRA. So we've done that for both me and my wife, and now we're just wondering next steps. So I guess my question is, if we get to the point where we're fully funding the Roth IRAs, what do you suggest we do with the 403B? So the 403B, do you have money that is still in what's known as surrender. I don't know. I don't remember if we talked about surrender charges when we talked before. We didn't. And I believe we still do though, have some money in surrender charges. Okay. So you could have a portion of what's in the 403Bs that you have now that you could transfer out and get away from the ultra high costs and the 403B. And then the other money um, with time it will no longer be subject to surrender, depending on the plan. But there's an okay. organization I've talked about before that I don't think I have mentioned a lot. 
the folks at 403B Wise. Have you ever heard me mention 403B Wise? I have not, no. All right, it's 403BWise.org. And this is a, a basically, it's almost like a volunteer group that helps educators and others that are stuck in these horrific 403B plans and can give you advice about what you do about your specific plan. Now, as a general rule, if you're contributing the max to your Roth IRA, I don't want you to turn around and say, well, we should contribute more to the 403B even though it's crummy. I'd rather you open a traditional investment account and put money in index funds in it. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking, um, I mean, you say how bad the fees are and all that in the 403B, so why would I contribute more there? But I just wasn't sure what the options would be once I've maxed out the Roth. So. Yeah, so with a traditional investment account, the difference is you're going to be subject to tax each year on the earnings. But if you do straight out broad market index funds, the tax due each year is so micro, microscopic. I mean, it's tiny. And then later on, the advantage of a regular old investment account and index funds, you know what I mean when I say index fund? Yes. Okay. So when when that money ultimately becomes money you want to use, which doesn't specifically have to be based on retirement, you pay tax on only the gains at very favorable what's known as capital gains tax, where money in that 403B, even though you don't pay tax each year, when you use the money later, you have to pay much higher what's known as ordinary income tax. So okay. you take the ultra-high costs in a 403B, and then you look at the tax treatment of one, they're just poison. Yeah, but they're just the, killing you on that, yeah. The reason I mentioned 403bwise.org is uh, they do a lot of seminars and stuff, and they may have knowledge about the specific 403b plan that that you have or how to figure out in the 403b plan where you have money stranded what the best move would be with that money. Okay. Well, that's great. I appreciate that. And I'm so excited that you're contributing instead to a low-cost Roth IRA instead of one of the rip-off insurance company 403Bs. And someday, someday, we will get rid of this 403B garbage that has infested the retirement planning for teachers. A lot of people work at hospitals, work at nonprofits, because teachers pay up to a hundred times the expenses that people pay in 401k plans with traditional employers and it's more common and usual that you pay 30 to 40 times the expenses which means that a teacher putting aside the same money every pay period someone who works for a traditional employer ends up with less than half the money in retirement simply because of the rip-off insurance company charges. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.